worship, um, just walking us right into the presence of our Heavenly Father, the Creator, the Lord that we worship. That's the worship that is going to happen for eternity. And we're in the dress rehearsal now, and we're gathering more and more worshipers, introducing people to this God so worthy of praise. I'd like to share with you the next slide as well. This, um, this song has really touched our hearts and our lives as a family. We'd like to sing it for you. He is worthy of praise. This is the one that we worship. This is the one that we long to introduce people to, that we long to remind our souls of to worship him, to worship him wholeheartedly with all our mind, soul, heart, strength, with all that is in us. We want to worship this God. Um, Michael's done a great job of, of the introduction. We'll just show a few uh, pictures here because pictures speak a lot, and my clicker doesn't seem to be recognizing me. Might be sound there. We serve uh, and support Wycliffe Bible Translators. to translating scripture, along with other educational literature for people around the world that don't have it in their own language. Yeah. Joined Wycliffe 15 years ago. We told you that there were 3,000 language groups representing 380 million people that had no scripture at all in their own language. <laughs> we're happy to report on excellent progress made worldwide, and yet we, we soberly report that still there are 114 million people. 1,600 languages that have a Bible in their heart language that looks like this. speaks their language just as well as yours. 
John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him Those people with no scripture in their own language Yet might have access to a Bible in another language but for them reading or hearing the Bible in a language that is not their very own is described as eating a banana with the peel still on, not nearly so tasty as it's meant to be. In Papua New Guinea, there are still 300 languages with a need for scripture in their mother tongue. It just isn't right for a place with so many bananas to still have people going through life eating them with the peels on. So that gives you a little taste of the vision of Wycliffe Bible translators. So Papua New Guinean has said eating the Bible uh, in a different language is like eating the scripture. Uh, it's like eating a banana with the peel still on. Yes, there's a little bit of life in it, but it's a really disgusting matter. It doesn't taste good, and it's not something that you really hunger for. But to be able to translate the Bible into the heart languages of these people is like taking the skin off and giving them that banana to eat and enjoy. It's life-sustaining, and it's, it's a joy to eat. Um, I'll ask you to keep advancing for me. I might try pushing some other buttons and see what happens here. But, uh, Darlene is uh, working as a, in a support role. Uh, she's not a Bible translator, although she does a lot of translation into one of the trade languages, Tokpisan. She uh, works in our school. She teaches Papua New Guineans, helping them prepare for their grade 10 and grade 12 national exams for those who have gone through our international school. She also teaches um, a ladies' Bible study. We can go to the next slide. And um, just weekly, meeting with these ladies and uh, working through Bible studies and introducing them to, to God and, and getting down into the nitty-gritty of how does God's word apply to our daily lives? What do I do when my husband is beating me? What do I do when my son is, a, is on marijuana and won't stop? Um, what do we do with rape and, and all these other hard issues that Papua New Guinean women live with day in and day out? Uh, I love aviation. Uh, I'm not a Bible translator, but I know how to fly airplanes. And I know how to have a bit of a pastor's heart and care for our missionaries that are at the ends of the earth. So I use uh, uh, these airplanes on a team of 50 out in the aviation department. And we're moving translators um, to the ends of the world. They're working with Papua New Guinean translators. Uh, in and out of airstrips that look like this, some of them 150 miles off the coast on tiny little islands, six feet above sea level. Some of them just 50 miles away from our home base, uh, up at 5,000 feet. One-way airstrips that go up into the mountains, you turn around, you take off the other way. Um, all of them uh, saving our translators uh, hours and days and weeks of tedious and very dangerous travel if it weren't for the aircraft. Um, so our heroes, people like Tommy and Connie Logan, who spent 23 years with the Kasua language group, translating and working with people like Amos uh, to translate the New Testament portions of the Old Testament. Uh, 
into the Kosovo language so that they can take that peel off and they can taste and see just how good God is, how sweet his words are. And so that they too can join in the celebration, the global hallelujah, the worship of God that will last into eternity. These people are gonna bring culture and style and flair to that eternal worship that we can't even imagine. And they're in their dress rehearsal now, and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be really, really good when we meet with these people. I'd like to tell you a little bit of a story about, um, and we're gonna unpack some of the, the scripture that we, sh that we read this morning, a story about grace, a story about God's grace. Uh, we, we use the airplanes, uh, and we can go to the next slides. Um, and we fly in and out of some, some pretty challenging airstrips, uh, some of these places. And I will stay to the side here. One of these places is called Aziana. This is my father-in-law videotaping. It's 900 feet long. It's 20% slope at its steepest right up there at the top. Uh, for reference, the grapevine uh, grade on the northern side is 6% slope. So it's very steep, it's very rough, it's all grass. There has been a New Testament translation program completed in this language group. Uh, and we continue to support the people. We do medevacs, we fly coffee beans in and out so they can buy uh, medicine and clothes and school supplies. The next slide shows uh, a good takeoff out of this airstrip. So when all things go right, this is the easy part. <laughs> so this is Aziana Airstrip, uh, one of our most challenging airstrips that we fly. And if we go to the next slide, you're gonna see uh, what the pilots are given. Uh, this is actually about a two-year outdated version. We've got Google Maps and all kinds of cool things now, uh, Google Earth overlays. But as you look at this uh, airstrip diagram, it tells you the runway length and the slope and the elevation, important things for captains to know. Uh, and then, you know, it's got soft spots in the parking bay. And then this little note, very slippery when wet, uh, right up there at the top. And a pilot who's reading that, you might think, okay, yeah, most clay runways are slippery when they're wet. Um, and right down here, uh, there's something that is a huge red flag for any of our pilots being checked out. And it says, mandatory airstrip checkout. That's all it says, but any captain that's in training with us knows I'm not going there unless there's a Czech airman sitting right next to me for the first time. And he's going to tell me all the ways that this airstrip can kill me. Uh, and he's going to teach me how to not get killed by this airstrip on a good day and a bad day. Um, this airstrip and these notes have scary stories behind them. One of our senior captains, uh, Will Benning, was in and out of this airstrip. It was a normal day. He'd loaded up the plane with a ton of coffee bags, and there had been a rain shower that blew through as he was loading the coffee up, but it wasn't raining. He fired up the engines and took off. And as he took off, he realized, I should not have started the engines on this aircraft. 
because the airplane immediately started to roll when the engines started. With that particular airplane, when you start the engines, you have thrust. And if you've set the parking brake, it's all good. But when you park your airplane on slimy, slick clay, it's not all good. So like it or not, ready or not, he was taking off. The checklist was not complete. He was not mentally prepared, but he knew I'm going to crash or I'm going to take off. Those are my two options. And he, by the grace of God, survived that takeoff. He was within inches of dragging a wing through a tree and seeing a fiery end. He was feet away from dragging wheels through the fence and the trees at the bottom of the airstrip. In our aviation culture, we, we have a culture that says we care for our fellow man, and when we see danger, and we believe the seriousness of that danger, we have to speak out. He could have very easily said, whew, I survived that one. I'll never do that again. Landed his airplane and gone home. But that's not our aviation culture. When something like that happens, we know, wow, that was God's grace. He just saved me. And it's not just an accident. It's not my superior skill. It's God's grace. And I have to tell my fellow pilots. And monthly, we have a meeting, and all of our pilots get together, and we share. We call it a share your experience. And it is a bear your souls, get down and dirty with each other, and share all of the stupid, dumb, silly things that you did that should have killed you or could have killed you, or it could kill one of your workmates in the future. Uh, we have paper systems, we have that airstrip diagram. Out of our share your experiences, some of that stuff gets captured and it gets put on paper so that those who come behind us don't have to have that same experience, don't have to, even worse, be killed because of the same thing that we already knew. We write it down because we know we're prone to forget. Even really important stuff like that. Over time, the froggy in the, the water, you can think, oh, well, Asiana seems kind of normal. No big deal, right? I go in there five times a week, and pretty soon, it's a wild and crazy place, but it's just a normal day in the office. So we write things down to help make sure that we remember the important stuff. Ephesians 2, 4 and 9, uh, 4 through 9, says, for, the, for by the grace of God you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of our works so that no one can boast. God has written down for us that he is supremely gracious. We can look in any one of our lives and we can see our faults. We can know very, very easily. If we look at the first five or, or all 10 commandments, you don't have to go too far to realize I'm a sinner. I've broken God's laws. And God wants us to know he is a gracious God and he has made a way. He's written it down we can go back to it. We have to remind each other of these truths. We have to know the dangers as well of not being aware of God's graciousness, not being aware of his holiness. 
we read in um, in Corinthians, Second Corinthians four six through fifteen, that this God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This God, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we can also believe and we must also speak, knowing that he who raised Jesus from the dead, along with Jesus, will raise us and bring us into his presence. There are dangers out there, church. We know there are eternal dangers. 2,000 years ago, thereabouts, God sent his own son to the earth to take on the form of a human, fully God, yet fully human. He was born of a virgin. He was sent by his heavenly father because God the Father knew we as human beings on this earth all have a big problem. The problem is called sin. It's where God has given his commands and we knowingly or unknowingly break those commands. And because of God's holiness, that creates a separation. And the wages of sin, the wages, the payment of breaking those commands is death. And it's separation from this holy God. He is so holy, he cannot abide with sinners. And that's not his intent. You look at the worship that we experienced this morning. You look at that global hallelujah. God has created us to be in communion with him, to worship him. Think about the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They were created, the very first human beings were created to walk in the garden and to enjoy the presence and the worship of God. Enjoy his creation. But because of this problem, this sin, there's been separation from Adam all the way to our generation and to the end of the age as we know it. So God sent this God-man, the Messiah, the one he had written of, he had planned it from before the creation of the world. He sent Christ to live a perfect, sinless, spotless life on this earth. And then he allowed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed on the cross as a substitutionary payment for sin and that those who would believe who would really trust Jesus Christ can take my sin he's paid for it on the cross I believe I confess I agree I am a sinner and I believe he is the one and the only one that can take that sin off from me and can bury it in the grave I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, like the Bible says. And I believe that he will raise again to life me, a sinner, because he has washed me and made me clean and white. He's forgiven those sins. He's removed them. In light of God's awareness of our sin, in light of his awareness of his great mercy and his grace towards us, he has extended this free offer It's not something that we can buy. It's not something that we can earn with all of our good works. It's something that by faith we have to believe and receive that he has freely given it to us. 
And then God allows his spirit, his Holy Spirit, to come into those who believe. And he starts this process of transformation. And he starts taking the old ways and the sinful ways out of us and replacing them with his new ways, with his words, with his fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, a big word for that, sanctification. And just making us look more and more in his image. For some of us, we've grown up with this message in the church. We've heard it. Uh, it doesn't sound too foreign. For others, these are new words. God expects us to dig into the word that he's written down for us, just like that airstrip diagram. Uh, go find somebody who knows firsthand from experience, but also look at what's written down and test it and see, do you really believe this? If you really believe it, it's gonna start changing the way you operate. For our captains, we give them a whole briefing on the ground, we show them the diagram, we tell them the stories, and then we go fly. And we land, and we park the airplane, and we walk up and down the airstrip, and we slip on the mud that's out there or the clay until we have believers. And then they demonstrate that they know how to operate safely. God is doing that same thing with us. All walks of life, young men and women and old, uh, little ones, you know, children that are in the Sunday school. We're all on this path of learning the dangers of life. Finding out, do I really believe this? And if so, what am I going to do about it? It's a fair question to ask. How do we really know that we've got the right story? Is this really true? In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He did miracles, which are not written in this book. But what you have here in the Bible, in your hands, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He says, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. This is the one that we have been waiting for to come and to save us. Not that we can save ourselves. He's the one. He will save us. And what do we do? We believe that Jesus is the answer, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Bible that you have in your hands, on your lap, or in your phone is being translated into most all the languages of the world. With the goal, 7,000 languages in the world, we've got about 2,300 that have been untouched. They are yet to receive a single word of the Bible in their language. But the goal and the target that brave and valiant men and women are aiming for is by the year 2025 to have at least started a translation program in every language group in the world that needs it. Because we know there are people out there that are living and dying, and they have yet to taste and receive God's word. They've yet to be able to really read this story and comprehend or understand in a way that speaks to their heart of Jesus Christ, of the grace of God, just how far above and beyond our wildest imaginations God is willing to go to pull us out of our sin and to save us. 
and to give us that new life and give us the Holy Spirit and start that transformational process, that sanctification. God really does want to have that relationship with individual people. The same kind of relationship that a vine has with its branch. If you think about the grape vine and the branch, and the branch starts growing fruit, and it only does that through the life-giving sap and nourishment of the vine. And that's the kind of relationship that God has said he wants to have with us, with me, with you, because we are connected, we're grafted in, adopted into that family with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as our brother in the family of God. John 6, 68 and 69, and 69, Simon Peter answered Christ. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is a man, this is a, a simple man, Peter, a fisherman, used to working with his hands. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And even before Christ's crucifixion, the Holy Spirit allowed Peter to understand this man that I'm rubbing shoulders with, that I'm walking through rocky, dusty roads with, I'm seeing him do miracles. He is the one that provides life and light. He has the keys of life. Peter knew there are doors that are locked in my soul that I can't unlock on my own. I can't get rid of this sin. But I believe this is the one. This is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that's going to save me. He says, you've got the keys. I'm not going to go anywhere else. And God's written all these things down. He's written these testimonies in the Bible. We can read it and we can believe So what do we do when we've got these keys? We've got the word of God. We've got, for those who have believed, we've got the spirit in us. We've got the knowledge. I'd like to, to put forth to you an example that we, we play the game of life in communion with Christ, like we're connected to the vine, the vine to the branch, uh, and we allow that, that work of the Spirit to start changing us and transforming us. I'm going to invite Nathan to come on up. And he's got a, a testimony of what life in communion with Christ looks like, how it changes us, and what kinds of things we're interested in doing. Let's give you this one here. My name is Nathan uh, Clark. I'm 16 years old. When most people look at me, most of them say, wow, tall guy. <laughs> or he grew up so fast. Well, my dad is tall, and my mom isn't necessarily super tall, but she's not short either. But I didn't work super hard to become so tall. I didn't eat lots of mashed potatoes, stuffing, and pumpkin pie in order to become so tall. No, it was just a gift. 
and this gift has helped me to play basketball. Last December, my coach told me to be ready to play on my team. You need to run a lot, shoot a lot, and lift weights. Well, I was happy to run and practice with the ball, but lift weights, I couldn't imagine that that was really a necessity to play basketball. Well, when our tournaments came around and we were playing with Papua New Guinean schools, I found out that my coach had been very right. The main sport in Papua New Guinea is rugby, and that filters into all the other sports. <laughs> so we were, we, were playing, we were playing against rugby players on the basketball team. Um, and when they ran into me, man, I felt pain, and I couldn't hold on to the ball. And I was sorry that I didn't get this strong body, of, uh, tall body of mine into the weight room. And the story is a picture of my life. Just like God gave me a gift of height to play basketball, God gave me, given me lots of other gifts too. He gave me a Christian family to grow up in, and lots of special PNG people and other missionaries as mentors and friends. Uh, but the best gift of all that he's given me is eternal life. I should have to be die, die and be separated from God forever. But God sent his son Jesus to earth and saw that you and I were in a mess, that we needed help. He's God and he's man. He's perfect. He hung on the cross and carried our sin in his own body. And the pain that he bore lets us be free from sin and healed inside if we will turn away from our sin. When I was six years old, I understood what Jesus had done for me and believed in my heart that he had taken away my sin. I made him my new boss and he put his Holy Spirit inside of me. I didn't do one bit of work and God gave me life. No. I was just get born into God's family as a gift, just like I was born into my family on earth as a tall young man. As I'm growing up, I've thought about how Jesus saves us. I knew Isaiah 64, 6, which says our good deeds are like dirty rags in God's eyes. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is not a gift of God, not a result of the good things that I've done. But still, I said, never mind. I'm so much better than the rest of the kids in my class. I mean, I'm, I'm just the best, and that's got to have something to do with it. I became proud of my good behavior. But this year, I've been befriending God more and more, getting to understand his word. And I praise God that he's corrected my thinking. I've taken hold of the truth that truly without God's mercy over my life, I'm like a boy sitting at the bottom of a pit toilet, where the smell's terrible, the walls are slippery and slimy, I can't do anything to help myself or God, but I need God to come down inside of that pit and save me. And God is helping to me to humble myself. I've also learned in James chapter 2, though, that belief without works is not belief at all. God saved me freely in order that I could work for him. So just like I was given a long body which helps me to play basketball just being tall isn't going to help my team win games I need to practice a lot and lift weights that's what's going to help my team win games just like God has given me salvation truly a gift I didn't do anything to work for it this isn't necessarily going uh, to be the best help to him I need to abide in Christ and be a pitcher of Papa God, just like I'm a picture of my father on earth in face, height, voice, and behavior too. I'm able to be a picture of my father in heaven. 
and this is the greatest present of all. I pray that you too can see the gifts that God has given you and the present that he, may want, that he wants to give you, eternal life. Turn to God and believe in his son. Then give God a thank you offering. What kind of thank you offering? Use the life that God has freely given to you to become a picture of your Papa God. And uh, next year, suppose any of you happen to show up at the Eastern Highlands Provincial Basketball Tournament. Watch out. I'm going to lift weights. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing. From the start of human history, we've got verses like Genesis 15, 6, where it speaks of Abraham. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. You have those verses back at the beginning of time. You've got young men like Nathan, 16 years old, who is connected personally with Jesus Christ. And he's being transformed into Christ's image. He's having those fruits of the Spirit grown in him. He's having the humility uh, to be able to realize, I don't have it all together. Um, I've got pride in me. Just like our pilots that make mistakes, but then every month, it's like they're undressing before their coworkers and they're saying, I don't have it all together. And they're realizing God is gracious. He knows that we're sinners. We're not fooling anyone. We need to be in communion with our fellow men and women. We need to be in communion with those in our church we need to be talking to each other about God's graciousness. We need to be humbling ourselves. When we mess up, we don't stop playing the game of life. When we blow it in church, we don't just melt into the background. But we go to God, we confess, we repent. We say that we're sorry to those that we've wronged, to those we've sinned. And we keep playing the game of life. We keep practicing just like Nathan, he's going to lift weights. We go after the hard stuff. That's what we do in the culture of our, our church, the culture of Christ followers. Belief in Jesus Christ inspires action. A few more stories of what might that action look like uh, on the mission field as I fly in and out of these places. Uh, one of the places I, I was flying, I landed and, and the training captain was busy unloading cargo and getting passengers ready and scaling cargo. I was filling out paperwork from the previous airstrips we'd been landing at and taking off, documenting the things he'd done well, the things we needed to improve on. And this Papua New Guinean lady comes up to the side of the air, airplane and she starts talking at me in Tokpisin, the trade language, and German, and English, and maybe the local talk place or language. And I, I'm listening to her, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what is she communicating to me? 
and finally put the paperwork down. I said, something is not quite right here. So I got out of the airplane. I walked a ways away from the airplane to where a small crowd was and started talking to her. This woman was convinced that I was her long-lost son and that being the captain, that I could easily put her in the airplane and take her up the mountain to that airstrip that we happened to be going to next, where my father lived, and that it would be a good thing for me to take my mama up to the place of the father. And as I'm looking around at all the Papua New Guineans, you know, they're all sitting back there. You know, they're laughing, they're talking to each other. This is the local crazy lady, and they, they love to watch pilots and see what is the, the, the pilot going to do with this crazy person. That's their entertainment, even better than the soaps or YouTube. <laughs> and so I'm starting to look at one of the guys and, you know, kind of giving the, the questioning eyebrow look to him. And, and he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, she's not in her right mind. I said, okay, well... So we talked, I asked them and I said, um, have you invited her to go to church with you? And they said, no. Kind of, why would you invite a crazy person to go to church? And I asked the woman, I said, do you know Jesus? Oh, yes, yes, I know Jesus, I love him very much. I said, do you go to church? She kind of looked at the guys behind her and no, I don't go to church. And I really, I encouraged them, I said, it would be great for her to go to church. And um, as, as I spoke the name of Jesus, do you know Jesus Christ? There was a, a very different change that came over her countenance. Um, and just speaking to other believers, speaking of Jesus, speaking of his grace. Uh, and I was praying the whole time, and I'm asking God, God, is there something we need to do here? Do I need to pray over this woman? Are there evil spirits that are holding her bondage? I didn't have any uh, direction in my spirit. I didn't have any peace that, yes, you need to pray. I said, okay, you know, encourage the church to be the church, to speak to her. It came time to load up and go. So I walked back to the airplane, and she insisted, I'm going to hop in your airplane. You're going to take me up. We didn't have space. We don't make it a practice to move crazy people around the nation. <laughs> Bless different communities with other people's crazy I said, I'm sorry, I, I cannot take you. You need to stay here. But there's people here that know you and will look after you. One of the, one of the men who'd been looking at me, and he, he walked out there with us, and I said, uh, we need to have her stay back with the main group. I can't have her around the airplane when we start up. You don't know what they're, what they're going to do if they run out to the plane and run through a propeller. She was very insistent that she was going on that airplane. I said, you need to stay. So the, the young man just takes her by the shoulder and tries to escort her. Immediately, she drops down to the ground, gets a couple of the coral stones on the runway, sticks them in her string bag, and she is ready to take this guy out. She starts swinging, swinging punches, and of course he's blocking and just kind of laughing. And then she gets the, the bag out, and she's ready to take him out with a David and Goliath slingshot. And um, I, I was like, what in the world? What just happened? You know, we, we went from a normal training flight to a riot is starting right next to my airplane. I just, one of those arrow prayers that you shoot up to God and say, God, help, what do I do? 
And immediately the words came to me and like uh, some people that I know and love who are a bit more impulsive, I didn't scale it, I just spoke it. I said, my mama would never behave this way. <laughs> and she, mid, mid, she was ready to flatten this guy. She just stopped. She heard the words, you're right. She drops her walks and rocks and she, she says, I will leave and I'm going to go that way. I'm not going to go this way like you wanted me to. Uh, and, and she left. I said, wow, thank you, Lord. I jumped in the airplane <laughs> and I told my training captain, I said, you start the airplane, let's get out of here. I'm going to keep an eye on her to make sure she doesn't do something sneaky or scary. And thankfully, she held to her word, just like my mama. <laughs> did what she was supposed to do, we were able to take off. There's times in our lives where we really don't know what to do. But having that communion with God, having the scripture that are woven into our being that we can, that we can dig down into, um, but being connected with God, being able to hear the Spirit, it's all kind of that weightlifting that Nathan was talking about. We practice it, and sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we get it wrong. So then we have to be humble, and we have to ask for forgiveness. Um, that's, that's God's work in our lives. Psalm 105, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And 2 Timothy 2, 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength, it comes from Christ, it comes from God, it comes from his working in us, his transforming power. It's not that I'm so holy and I'm so good and I've got it all together. It's even the opposite. It's as I get to know myself and I see what a wretch, what a Pharisee I can be, how I can even fool myself. And yet God is gracious and he keeps working on me. He keeps transforming me. He keeps showing me where I'm falling short that I might be more connected with him, be more connected the vine to the branch that I might bear the real fruit, not the fake stuff. That's his desire and that's his plan and that's what he's doing as we're in communion with him. So I challenge you, be connected with God. Be speaking to yourself, be speaking to others of his grace, of his love, of his transforming work that he's doing in you. For some of you, you may not have that relationship with Christ. It could be that you've been raised to be the good Christian man or woman that you are, but you're not really connected. And the fruit that you see on your life feels kind of plasticky. It feels like a lot of hard work to grow that fruit. I challenge you to do your ABCs to acknowledge that you are a sinner. Agree with God about who you are, who he is, who Jesus Christ is, what Christ did on the cross, and that that work, that work alone, is able to save you. And I challenge you to believe 
believe that Jesus will do what he has said he will do in the word, to confess, to repent. I challenge you to tell others what you have done. There's no magical formula. There's no Harry Potter incantation. There's no app that you can just download. Zip. Okay, I'm saved now. But it's belief that God will give you. It's getting down and dirty with his word. Just reading his word. Being real with him. Connecting. At the end of the service, we will have uh, some men at the front. Uh, myself, I'm a, we're available as well. If you would like to pray with someone, and maybe for that first time, connect with Christ on a real personal level. You're welcome to come forward and talk with us. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. For others, maybe you've believed, but you realize, I don't have that grace in my life. Or I have that grace, but I want more of it. People have hurt me. I've been disappointed in people. And I want to be free. I want to realize just how much God has been gracious with me. And I want to be gracious with others. Again, I would encourage you, connect with God. Connect with his word. Connect with that spirit that he's put in you. Acknowledge, believe, confess with yourself, with God, and then with somebody real that you trust. And maybe these men that are in front of you, maybe people here in the church, somebody that you know and love and trust. I challenge you to grow in that grace. God has said, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We have to know his grace in our lives and it's got to be translated into action in our lives. Second Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by these, his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He longs for us to be wrapped up in his grace and extending that grace to others. And he has built us to know these truths, to believe them, and to speak them out. We know, we believe, and therefore we speak. So don't hold it inside. But like Nathan and the weight, we're in practice. Get stronger, get more proficient at speaking out what you believe in a way that's helpful and building up of those around us. Grace Church of Hollister, to the measure that you believe these words, these words of truth that you have heard, may you speak them. Speak them to yourselves and to others. To the measure that you know Christ is returning to judge the world, 
may you speak of his saving love to those who are already saved because we forget. We need to be reminded of the dangers that are out there. Speak it also to those who are lost, to those who have misplaced trust or don't have any trust and are living in fear. Speak to those of the hope and the future that you have. <coughs> to the measure that you're convinced of the darkness of our hearts, apart from the saving work of Christ, may you speak of Christ's power. Speak of his filling through the Holy Spirit, his washing, his renewing, and his transforming ways. For all those who are connected to him are like that fruit branch. <clears throat> they will bear fruit. I'd like to invite our worship team up to sing a song. And I'd like those who <clears throat> would like to come forward, uh, if you would like to be prayed with, if you would like to speak, I encourage you to come and just find that grace, find <clears throat> that confident Confess your plans. If you're not um, feeling like you need to come forward, that it's not a pressure, it's just available for those who would like to. At the end of the song, I would like to close in prayer.